Welcome to Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today I am delighted to have Brian Hain with me talking about being a church musician in this strange time that we find ourselves in. Specifically, we are talking about our identity as pastoral leaders, as ministry leaders in our churches, and what that means for us when our congregational singing, our musical leading is very different, sounds different, looks different than it did a couple months ago. What does that mean for us as people who lead in the church and as people who are worshiping God together with our communities? Before we get into the episode, I want to let you know that we are podcasting in the time of Corona. I think you'll get to hear my preschooler at one point. Uh, there's a lawnmower and I'm recording from my living room so I could be very close to my preschooler and keep an eye on him. So the audio sounds a little bit different than it normally would. I hope you find this episode encouraging and insightful as you think about where you are in your ministry right now. Brian, would you introduce yourself to us? Sure, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, I'm the director of the Center for Congregational Song for the Hymn Society. And um, what that means is I work uh, on all things related to congregational singing and it's an ecumenical organization. So I live my life bouncing between various traditions and denominations um, and even some interfaith work. Um, so, uh, you know, one week I'll be working with Baptists and then the next day I'll be talking to Roman Catholics and then I'll be hanging out with some Pentecostals and uh, everything in between. And so um, this is something I'm passionate about and uh, a lot of people are kind of in the same boat, regardless of their tradition now that we're, we're all uh, dealing with this pandemic. Um, so lots to talk about. And you've also worked as a church musician also, yeah? I do, yeah. I've always been, uh, I've always held a full-time nonprofit job, but I've, then I've always served part-time as a director of music somewhere. Um, I've served in, I started my career as a church musician at a cooperative Baptist church oh, when I was an intern. And then uh, served a couple of United Methodist churches uh, and a couple of Roman Catholic churches, uh, including the cathedral here in Baltimore. And then now I'm currently um, the director of music at a little Presbyterian church here in Baltimore, PCUSA. Cool, cool. All the all the nice nice breadth of things. Yeah. I I, um, I sometimes joke. I've I've worked in all the denominations that hire organists. <laughs> like, do they do they hire organists? I have probably worked for them. So we're gonna dive right in and and think about the changes, the changes, but also the um like to me I think there's some revealing that's going on. Not so much change, but re revealing what is the bedrock of being a leader, a musical leader in the church. Yeah, I think I'm not alone in suddenly being like, well, choir directing the choir is not not what it was. Yeah. Um, playing the organ is not what it was. Just this week, I was, you know, at church, put my put my kid in front of the the TV, and I went and recorded my postludes. Well, that's weird. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I kicked out the guy who was a uh, was repairing repairing one of the walls. I was like, can I have like fifteen minutes of quiet? I need I need to record my postludes. <laughs> um, so very different than our than our usual setup. Um, but I think that that is revealing a lot about what is. What's really, really important here, and what are we really able to do? What are we able to do right now that's what we were always doing and maybe didn't realize or maybe should have been doing and didn't realize? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the it has certainly the situation has certainly kind of stripped away the the givens or the assumptions that we've had or the things that we've taken for granted, um, and it, it's really highlighted things that we love. It's highlighted things that we might have not been doing well uh, that we thought we were, we were doing well, or uh, highlighted weaknesses that we had that we didn't know we had. And it's, it's been quite humbling. Um, kind of being put in a brand new situation that none of us were really prepared for, uh, which can be a really good thing. Uh, God, God can humble us and do miraculous things through situations like this. So, but, but your, your introduction to this topic made me think about a recent conversation I had with, a uh, actually a Muslim colleague of mine and friend. His name is, uh, Hussein Jan Muhammad, and he's a wonderful uh, choral director in Toronto. And I gave him a call, and we were talking about this, what we're talking about now. And I shared with him how, you know, even though our, our church is doing live worship, so we're using Zoom, and we're doing worship live. Everyone's in their own home, but when it, time, when it comes time to lead a hymn, you know, I have my keyboard, and I, I play and I sing. And I invite people to sing along and we're using the hymns that we, we all know and so that, you know, people can sing at home. But I don't hear them, right? Because you can't have Zoom because of the delay, you know? So it's just me. We know all and, about that lag time at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just me. And I was sharing with, with Hussein, I said, it, it's the most frustrating and unfulfilling thing for me to be leading that way because the reason that I became a music minister is because I love hearing other people sing. Like I love group music making. That's why I love congregational singing. I love being a choir director. Um, I, you know, or, and I assume for a lot of organists, when you play him, one of the wonderful things about that is that you're leading this group of people and you get to hear the results of your leadership and receive that instantaneous feedback. And it, it feels good. It fills it your soul. Yes. You know, it's one of the reasons we're in this. So I'm sitting here and I'm playing this music and I'm singing it. And I don't, I mean, my voice is fine, right? I like, you know, but I don't want to hear my voice. You know, I want to hear. That's not why you signed up to do this. Right. I, you know, I, I would have gone into a career as a soloist. But even then, you, you want to have an audience, right, that you can receive that live feedback. So I was sharing this with him. And he said, uh, he said, there's a tradition uh, in Sephardic, for Sephardic concerts, uh, that or there's a traditional understanding um, that when a concert begins, what is happening is the people playing the music, the people performing, are praying. And the people who are listening to that music, the audience, while they may not be directly participating in the actual music making, they are directly participating in the prayer because of their presence. So there's no such thing as a soloistic performance in Sephardic music making. There is only prayer. And so that was a really helpful framework for me because I needed to shift my understanding of what's going on when I'm sitting at the keyboard by myself playing and singing and I can't hear anyone else that if I allow the lack of feedback and the lack of live music making 
that feeds me. If that, if I allow that to block my understanding of what's actually going on, then that's limiting what God can do through that moment. And I need to reshift my own framework to understand that if I just pray with what I'm doing, then the fact that these other people are listening and maybe singing along, maybe not, I'll never know. <laughs> um, if they're praying with me, if they enter that prayer, then what a beautiful thing that is. And that's a whole different framework from there it was for me. And I needed to shift my own expectations on, on what's going on there. And that was very helpful. So I thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, no, I, it reminds me. I, I think that we have pieces of that in different Christian traditions, but we might not, um, we might forget about them. Like mm -hmm. in terms of corporate prayer, any or most Christian traditions, we often have a leader of that corporate prayer. And I think most of us understand ourselves to be praying with them as we're paying attention or something. Sometimes there's this like, you know, is it presence? Is it, is it attention? What is right. it that makes us pray with? But yeah. just, you know, that understanding that we could be praying with while someone else is doing the speaking. But I also think in um, Eastern Orthodox traditions and maybe, maybe in some Roman Catholic traditions where you have a cantor or maybe you have a small choir and the congregation doesn't, doesn't sing at all. Yep. Or sings very minimally. This is, I think, especially in Eastern, some Eastern Orthodox traditions, yep. mm -hmm. where it can be very disorienting uh, for a Protestant to go because it's like, well, but I'm not participating at all. It's like, right. but actually, you can be participating. It just looks different or it feels different. But it's yep. like, in, in terms of like a theological, like, is this worship, is this spiritually valid? Right. I, I, I think, you know, again, people disagree on this, but I think most of us could say, like, yes, yes, that is spiritually valid. Right. And it's it's making me think about one like what is what is this that we're doing when we're singing in our own homes? I've gotten feedback from quite a few people actually who've said like I never thought I would sing along with like the the online service, but actually I kind of love singing along and I'm kind of loud. <laughs> like okay, I love this. This is great. Yeah. Um, and then some people are like, well, I'm still really quiet, but you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> make make some noise to the Lord, but. Right. But I'm one. I, I think that there's something really interesting going on here because I think that we usually we think of worship as a synchronous kind of thing mm -hmm. that we're all doing it together all at the same time, and like in the church church where I'm ministering, we have, you know, I some of the hymns like I recorded them back in March, and and then someone else recorded the the cantor part, the you know the the melody line. Um, weeks later, and then we're all going to sing this on Sunday morning, maybe at the same time, or maybe at two a.m. on um, Monday, because that's when our shift ends. Right. And, you know, so so completely asynchronous, right? Yeah. But we're still worshiping. Yeah. And we're still glorifying God. We're still praising God. We're still, mm -hmm. like, there's something still happening. And it's so different than what we would normally think of as corporate worship. And this right. is corporate worship. This isn't me, you know, sitting at my piano with my hymn book singing to the Lord, right? Like, this is actually really right. different than that. It's corporate, right. but in a a way that I couldn't have really imagined. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was just thinking about visual art, and visual artists don't have this problem. They they create art that is designed to be consumed at a later date all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And, that's, and yeah. that doesn't prevent people from being inspired by the Mona Lisa, even though it was created, you know, 
hundreds. Yeah, and it doesn't prevent that um, the collective experience around it. Right. We don't have to see the art all together at the same time, or we don't have to even we don't have to all be in the same place watching that beautiful sunrise. Right. We can. I sometimes see this on Facebook, like, "Whoa, did you see that thing last night? Or did you hear that storm?" And we're all in our different places, but we're we're still experiencing yeah. the same thing. Well, yeah. I mean, so that's that's the that is the kind of undergirding theological or phenomenon that communion is based around this this idea of like anamnesis that when we remember something together it becomes present so when we do the act of remembering Christ's death and resurrection through the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the wine that in in some miraculous way that People who try to explain, but we don't seem to be able to ever fully get there. Mystery, right? Uh, right. So this idea of anamnesis, the the act of remembering moves something from the past into the present. Um, and and music music can work the same way. We're just not used to it working that way because yeah. we are so tied to live music making, which is super important. And I don't yeah. want to... Oh, yeah. This is not a knock you know, on that. Right. So not a, it's not saying that we don't need to make live music because... As soon as we can get back to doing that, we need to. But but this is an opportunity to lean into uh, what is the power of recorded music and what is the power of shared corporate memory? What would it be like for a congregation to just listen to the tune of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing and just think about what the words mean together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or... or a, you know, maybe there's a special song that was was used at the dedication of the church building ten years ago when they opened a new church. Uh, what would it mean for the church to just sit and remember that time together while listening to that song? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that it can be a powerful experience. Yeah, yeah, it can, and it can happen at at different different times. Like I'm thinking, like even even uh, like beyond the communion, like just the idea of like being in a church together and how we are. We can be the church now, but we're also the church in the past and the church in the future and the earth and the church in heaven. And like all these, all these dimensions coming together and, and they're all true um, right. and valid. Mm-hmm. And we tend to prioritize or think most about one kind of thing, but that, that doesn't mean all these, all these other pieces aren't there. And yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. we didn't even know that all those pieces were there. That's actually, that's a new word to me that anamnesis is like, Oh yes, I, I know what you're talking about. It's like, Oh yeah, that's that's what we're doing, and that's such a great metaphor for what we're doing. Even a great reality for what we're doing in terms of music. When you mentioned the uh, the art and the, the visual art, it's reminding me of what I've been doing with uh, virtual choir recordings uh, with my choir. Because like we tend to think of well, live music. We're doing it together, and we are making something simultaneously. We're we're creating this art all together, all at once. And a composer gave us the the framework and we practice it and we put it together and now we are realizing. And I'm really drawn to the metaphor right now of a mosaic or mm-hmm. a, a mosaic of tiles. Like you sometimes see this like in a like public art installation yeah. where everyone has drawn their own tile and then the artist has put, put these tiles together. And the composer gave us the, the framework and then all the different choral vocalists have recorded their pieces, they've made their tiles, and then I'm assembling them together and creating out of this. And it's a very different kind of art form, and it's a really different experience making it than yes. making music live. But it's also a valid experience. This isn't fake choir. You know, yeah. this isn't pretend choir. It's just 
you know, it's a different medium. It's a different art form. And that's, that's and, okay. And think about, you know, another, uh, you know, doing a virtual choir is a, is a different ball game because there are certain skills that it takes to pull it off well, and not everyone can do them. Oh, yeah. But yes. yes. So our, I would not be doing this if I were not a full-time person with all the, right. you know, I do a podcast, I know how to edit audio, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. That disclaimer. <laughs> but, but an argument to do one, at least one during this time, is that we're, we've created a shared memory of creating this thing mm -hmm. so that when we have regathered, we can we can have this um Ebenezer. Uh, yeah we can have the and, and then we can say hey remember when we had when we couldn't meet and we sang together anyways mm -hmm. and we'll yeah. have the shared memory of kind of working through this really difficult time together and that'll be our art installation that reminds yeah, this will be part of our narrative even you know regardless of like virtual choir things but the other right. things that we're making corporately, like I'm yeah. thinking of uh, one vocalist in the church who I, I got him to record this little light of mine with this guitar and we used it in online worship for several weeks. And, you know, we're, we're always going to have that recording and it's, yep. and it's wonderful. And it's like, it's a, it's a timepiece to help us, I think, make some sense out of something that is unfolding. We are like in one way, we're like, we're not going to understand this until we've made a narrative out of it retrospectively, but right. we're also putting the pieces together now so that in the future we can make sense of this this watershed that we're in the midst of, right. the tsunami that we're like, trying to keep our head above and, and you know survive through. Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to talk some about identity? And I'm thinking specifically about all of us church musicians who are suddenly like, well, not what it used to be. And what does that mean for me as a, I'm a choir director, I'm an organist, I'm a, like that, that type of identity work that I think some of us are having to do. Yeah. Where, like, I, I mean, to anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, like, I've got a soapbox of like, you know, we're in pastoral ministry and this yeah. is, this is the work that we do. That is the bedrock that I think some of us are seeing. And our yeah. choirs are musical ensembles, but they are communities. And mm -hmm. so, so that, that's my, that's my little soapbox, but, but I know that you have a lot, a lot to say about identity and, and what it means to be working in the church at this time. So, yeah, I have a similar soapbox. Um, the, the, the church that we've inherited in many ways, uh, has, has, is built on a model of, well, if we just hire the right instrumentalist who's good at their instrument then we'll have a great staff member. And that's just a that's just a bad assumption. And I've seen it go wrong many times where a church is like, well, we need a choir director. So let's create a job description that has all the things a choir director does, like, you know, run rehearsals and do four anthems a week with these three ensembles and this, this, and that. Or let's get an organist who can play Bach really well and understands how to play the organ really well. Um, and not a single mention of caring for people that you're working with or praying for your ensemble members or feeling comfortable leading uh, devotionals or uh, any kind of ministerial outreach ideas. None of that's in the job description. And then you get this maybe, oh, we need a choir director. Oh, this person has a PA, has a doctorate in choral conducting. They're going to be great. And they get in there and they're just an absolute jerk and they don't take care of anyone. And all they're worried about is just making a great choral piece sound really awesome 
They don't understand how to put it into worship or why even worship's important. Their job is to make great choral music. Well, so, so now we can't have choir. So what does that person do? Well, they just kind of wallow in self-pity and they're like, well, I guess I'll do it. And they, and they don't know what to do with themselves. And some of them are probably going to get fired because they don't serve any other purpose. And, you know, I, like we've run into this. It's, it's kind of revealed this larger problem that the church has fooled itself into. Um, when if we don't have REV in front of our names, we're not we're not supposed to do anything ministerial. It reminds me, actually, in a graduate school, my uh, organ teacher would organ professor would uh, post job descriptions. And sometimes <laughs> he'd post something, usually it was from a Methodist church, where it would be like, must love Jesus, blah, blah. Uh, but the, and then, like, number seven was needs to play the organ. And he'd always circle this, like, see, like, see where the organ ranks in terms of this job, you know, for the organist. But I would look at those and I would go like, oh, that's a church that actually has some sense of what actually a minister of music could do or what a, what a church musician can do, what a worship leader can do. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I want to be, like, on, on my end, like, I, I'm not knocking all my colleagues who are fantastic people and not particularly religious. And I, I have a lot of church musician colleagues who are wonderful and not jerks and care about their communities. And, you know, maybe they're theistic, maybe it doesn't really matter to them. But thinking on the church's end, I'm just, you know, I've been to so many job interviews because I've, I've moved way too many times. And not because I'm a bad employee, just because I've moved a lot. Um, but I, I'm amazed at the churches that wouldn't ask me anything about my personal faith. And I would have to, you know, I, I was spontaneously just, I would just bring it up. I was like, this is important. And they need to know that this isn't you know, an asset to, to the church. Like, like I'm bringing something good here that they're, that they're forgetting about. Yeah. Um, and the, and the care for the people. And I, I think like right now we're really seeing, I, I mean, like I'm seeing like memes on the internet that are like, oh, you know, if choir is only about making a good sound together, well, you know, can't do that so much right now. But if choir in large part is about community, well, we can still have community, different kind of community, right? maybe not the community that we would want to have. Mm -hmm. um, I think many of us would really like to give each other hugs and, yeah. you know, we're, we, we, we need that and we realize what we're missing. But at the same time, like we're not, I don't know, like it's not as bad as it seems. Well, I think, you know, it, so I think this is a good time for a self audit that when when your church decided to go digital or to stop worshiping in person whenever that was assuming that that happened over the last few months for you um if your first thought was well what am i going to do or wow we can't have choir anymore I, I just i guess i'll just wait until we can have choir or some sort of like general lament which should happen. I mean, it was sad, right? Mm -hmm. But if that wasn't immediately followed by, I should probably reach out to my choir members and see how they're feeling. Okay. Or I wonder if I wonder if Kurt's doing okay because he's he's single and he's stuck mm -hmm. at home now by himself. I should reach out to yeah. Kurt. Or oh, well, maybe you know, maybe my choir members could call each other and sing. A, you know, yeah. So if your first thought wasn't how can I care for the people that I'm in charge of or the people that I, you know, are in my choral group or my ensemble or something, then 
you should you should think about why that is. Why was your first instinct? How can I make a great choir piece for this Sunday's worship instead of how can I care for the people that are also going through this really difficult time? Right. And, there's, and, and that's I'm not saying that either either one of those is more or less important because maybe you really need to make a great choir piece for your worship service because that's what the worship service needs. But at the same time, if that's the only thing you're thinking about and you haven't checked in with your folks or you haven't started thinking about how they need care, then you should you should do some work on that. And, and maybe you're not as ministerial as you thought you were. Or maybe you need to readjust your own identity to start thinking more ministerially so that when you gather again, you don't just go back into the same old well, we are, we're, we're supposed to make great music because great music's worth making and not we're building a community of faith who care for each other and make our community stronger, you know, by being a solid small group who loves the Lord. These are these are things we need to be thinking about now. This is making me think about narratives that I think in many ways are true about doing your best, quote unquote best, like um we are going to do our best ability to make this choir piece, or I'm going to do my best on the poster, or I'm going to do my best with this worship song. I'm going to, my band is going to do the best, right? The best being, of course, relative to our capabilities and our skills, blah, blah, blah. But, but the, the importance on like, I want to give God my best. Yeah. And I don't think that that's untrue. I think that we, we want to give God our best and we want to give God's people our best. We don't want to show up haphazardly. And at the same time, I think that the way churches tend to frame music, I mean, this is a broad brush, but the way churches tend to frame music programs um, in, well, across denominations, the yep. way we tend to frame that is that that's the most important thing about the music program. Right. Or the, the barometer by which you gauge the health of a music program. Well, our choir sounds really good, so therefore our music program is healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that that isn't an important part of it. You know, if you're if you're doing, you know, lackadaisical work, people are going to quit your choir because they're, you know, yeah. frustrated. You know, like there's there's all that stuff there. But at the same time, I think that there is this whole communal spiritual group aspect. Like I t I tend to think of my choir as a Sunday school group. Like, yep. And it says, like, when I think of, like, how do I minister to the choir? I think, well, like, I think that it is it is a type of small group in the church. And, like, yep. in many ways to, to lead that group. Or if I were leading a worship band, that would that, that's the small group that I'm responsible for. Um, well, I think there's a, there's a big, so we're talking about quality. And, and there's a huge difference between giving God the best and giving God our best effort. So if you define excellence as giving God the best, then, then you're going to have a, a choir of hired professionals because they sing better than we do. I mean, and, and you can't argue with that. Like, yeah. I know choirs, I know churches that have choirs of only professionals because yeah. they really yeah. give God the best. Yes. And that, and I think that for that kind of church, okay, that like that's what they're choosing. But most of us are not in that church. That's right. And I, and there's a big difference between giving God our best effort and giving God our best because I can't give God 
my best or anyone uh, every Sunday. I think there's a big difference between giving God, even I can't give God my best every Sunday or, or the people I serve because I'm not always at my best. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. sometimes I'm depressed or my son interrupts what's going on. And, but, but that doesn't mean that I can't give my best effort. And if, if I say, wow, that wasn't my best because, you know, my back is in so much pain this week that I couldn't be at my best, but I did give it my best effort. Yeah. I think that's more pleasing to God than, than crapping on myself and being like, oh, I didn't give God my best. I guess I'm just not worthy. Um, I think, you know, and likewise, if, oh, wow, that virtual choir anthem was terrible. But did everyone give their best? Yes. Well, let's do it again next week. Did, did somebody get better? Oh, wow, yeah, somebody did get better. And the virtual anthem still sounds like crap, but but we got better. And then the next week, oh my gosh, did you you know she was really struggling with her pitch last week, and this week on the virtual anthem she did much better. She's really improving. I think that's much more pleasing to God than sounding like Eric Whitaker's virtual choir every week, because God wants us to improve. God wants us. God knows that we're not we're we're, we're not God perfect made his people. people. Yeah, we're not perfect people, and God wants us to continue to improve, and that is excellence. You know, improving is excellence. I think yeah. that's how I yeah. define it. And, and I think for, for us as we're figuring out where where we're heading in the next months, and I think none of us has a crystal ball, shockingly, so uh, if right. you're hearing proclamations of here how things will be in a year or in two years, it you know, <laughs> no, no one's got the crystal ball, not even the technologist. Yeah. Um, so who knows? as we're thinking about how we want to live in the coming months, live in this season of change, live in this season of who even knows what's happening. If anyone can hear a small child here, it's because I have a small child here. But as we, as we finish this season, as we live in this season, I think that we can hold, hold true to these things that are really at the bedrock of what our actual identities are or could be mm. in the church, the, way, the actual ministry that we can be doing right now. I think that we can really lean into that and yep. take comfort in that and lead pastorally from that yep. um, as we as we look into the into the future and live into the coming months. Yeah. And, be, you know, be gracious to yourselves. I, you know, OK, the first two or three times we did virtual worship was terrible and there were tons of glitches and things didn't go. It's really OK. But did we, did we get better? Right. When a glitch happened, did we try to fix it for next time? Uh, when the sound quality wasn't great, did we do our research and try to fix it next time? Uh, if, you know, w whatever it is, are are we getting better at doing it? And are we thinking about how we're serving God's people and how we're glorifying God? And if we're on a journey towards getting better and doing it together, then you're probably on the right track. So be gracious to yourself because it's, it's a crazy time. Thanks to Brian Hain for this conversation. You can find more about him at hymnsociety.org and congregationalsong.org. That's hymnsociety.org and congregationalsong.org. You can find his contact info at both of those sites. And there's also just a wealth of fantastic resources at both of them. You might have a lot of fun just poking around and seeing what is there if you haven't already explored them. 
Speaking of websites, you can find the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com, where you can also find lots of resources, including my weekly newsletter and my podcast for church staff, Getting to Nimble. If you've enjoyed this show, please share it with your colleagues. The best way for them to find it is by word of mouth. And if you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch@gmail.com. at I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza.